This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two amazing people, Tia Vasiliu. Hello. And Brian Murray. Hey. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm glad that you're here. Super glad because this is our first ever IRCB Q&A episode. We're going to be doing four of these throughout the year, once every quarter, I like to call them, so quarterly. And essentially, if you as a listener out there have questions for us about comics or mostly anything i mean i'm up for i'm game for asking anything send them to us using the hashtag ircbqa on twitter or send us an email directly at ircb at destroythesive.org otherwise let me ask the question that i ask every single week how have you been how have comic books been let's start with you tia i'm good i'm back in new york during the week back in the land of comics where uh, i could actually like go to a shop Mm -hmm. so that's cool I read obviously The Wicked of the Divine 1923, which no is, way. I know it's shocking. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I got back just in time. <laughs> yeah, so this is one of the specials, and it's really exciting because it's the one that um, explains the the very opening scene from the whole book back in issue one. It's art by Odd Cook and uh, Kieran writing Clayton Cole's lettering. And so there's a lot of prose in this. It's very, very stylized. I really feel like Mm -hmm. I need to go through it with a fine tooth comb to get all the references. But the art is awesome. I'm super glad that this book is putting Odd Cook on people's maps. And I also read Twisted Romance number one, which is, I think, going to be four issues. They're all over 50 pages each. And they're they're Whoa. like horror romance anthology that I think Alex DeCampi is like spearheading. And she has a story in this one, but I don't see her in the credits as having written stories in the in the next ones so it looks like the creative cast rotates in these which is pretty awesome I love anthologies I just love that because it is just such a really low stakes way to discover new creators which is great mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there um, it's funny there's a lot of pros in my comics this week because one there's three stories in here there's a main one a backup comic and then like a little prose short and uh, the the prose short is by Megan Cubid and it's like kind of vampire and sexy and then the Alex DeCampi story is uh has art by Katie Skelly who I love she did that like really cool vampire yes I know right her art is just so like mod and like sexy swing 60s sort of style and it's colorful and it's like graphic and but the story is actually about succubi I think that's the plural of succubus. I don't, yeah, I don't, I've, I've seen a lot of really bad horror movies to know that that is definitely <laughs> the plural. Not succubuses. <laughs> right. which sounds weird. <laughs> I mean, that's the New York Metro Transit System. Oh, sorry, that was bad. <laughs> no, it's suck totally your true. boss, New York. <laughs> <laughs> So you think that it's going to be like a straightforward, like this woman hires this private eye to like mess with her husband and his mistress. But then it turns out that, yeah, like there are there are succubi afoot. And um, sweet. Yeah, it's just really cool. It's just cool. I love it. And uh, the Sarah Horrocks short comic in the back is like this sexy candy horror fever dream story about sex and death because fuck yes sweet (laughs) yeah (laughs) i really hope there's gonna be a hardcover so number two comes out on valentine's day obviously because love sucks and obviously 
Yeah. Yeah. Half price candy day is really where it's at, which is the next day. The 15th, um, the real yeah. holiday. <laughs> the real holiday. <laughs> great. My wife will be hearing this on Valentine's Day. Well, buy her some half price candy and a copy of Twisted Romance number two. <laughs> so that's me. Cool, cool. Brian, how you been? How have comic books been? All that. I have been deathly ill, but it has given me a lot of time to read comics. Oh, good. <laughs> I read uh, Giant Days number 35, so I finally got the resolution after character, who will not be named for spoiler reasons. Uh, Thank you. Did a thing that will not be stated for spoiler reasons. <laughs> and that got kind of resolved in in like a like a satisfying like teen romancy sort of way there is a tiny goth girl like a 10 year old who idolizes esther which i found to be just just the cutest dang thing just <laughs> ah if i if i had a kid i'd want a kid that like gothy and precocious mm-hmm. you'd probably end up with some like preppy young republican <laughs> because kids always have to like rebel and do the thing their parents rebel against their parents yeah right right it's like, no, I'm not going to oh, drink a beer, Dad. I'm 16. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Sorry, that tickles me. I also read uh, She-Hulk 162, which is seems to be wrapping up this arc of Hulk slash She-Hulk that I've really been enjoying, which is disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's said to be concluded in the back of this issue, which means I'm guessing the next issue might be the last one we get of jennifer walters dealing with her emotions instead of smashing things with her big green hands Mm -hmm. which is disappointing for me but also i recognize that a story like this can't go on forever and it is kind of hopeful to hear of a character who who goes through trauma and processes it and deals with it and then actually comes out the other side i think that is like a positive thing to put out into the world that just because you're dealing with these things and you're feeling these feelings now does not necessarily mean you'll always feel that way. It's kind of nice. I'm just disappointed because I love this book and I want it to happen forever. Yeah, yeah. That cover is sick, by the way. I just looked it up. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Go ahead and Google that for yourselves. I'm not going to try and describe it because I would not do it justice. Um, the bulk of my reading has been through my library's Hoopla app. Shout out to Hoopla and the uh, the Kent District Library System here in Michigan. I read the first 70 issues of Invincible. <laughs> Brian, are you okay? Um, <laughs> Holy but, shit. Like I that's said. That's a lot of comic books. That's that's a lot of comic books. Sorry. Yeah. It, wow, it was 70 a, issues. Something like 1,500 pages. I didn't keep exact track but it's somewhere in that neighborhood. There are a lot of words in these books. Mm -hmm. I think part of the reason I was able to read it so fast is that I kept skipping big pages where I would flip to the next page and see just Mark and his girlfriend talking for the entire page and just go, Mm -hmm. all right, I don't need this, (laughs) and just skip on to the next one. And this isn't even, like, his superhero girlfriend, who is his partner later on in the series. It's, like, his high school slash freshman year of college girlfriend, who just could not matter less to the overall story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we uh, we decided to delve into that for pages and pages and pages at a time. I just think that this is an interesting take on a superhero comic, 
that ultimately could have been done a lot better. If it had been a lot less wordy, I think that I would have enjoyed it more. I definitely think that, like, it was it was written in, what, 2008 it started coming out? Uh, I want to say earlier than that. Yeah, it might have even but, been earlier than that. Yeah. But there's a lot of stuff that the characters say that I probably didn't snag on too much at the time, but that now reading back, I'm like, wow, you really shouldn't be using the word gay like that over and over again. Like, yeah. And I can, I understand the defense that it's like, oh, well it's, it's realistic dialogue. You know, this is how 18 year olds talk to each other. But like I was telling Mike in a, a text chat that, I watched an eight-year-old who had been transformed be beaten up into transformed into a giant monster, was then beaten up by a twenty-nine-year-old who looks like an eight-year-old who turns into a smaller giant monster. So, like, using the word "gay" as a slur is like definitely a weird realism hill to die on. Right. Right. Oh, by the way, I looked this up. Uh, Invincible number one was released in 2003. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like even in 2003, I would give teenagers more credit for not being dicks. Am I wrong? Yeah. I mean, I was was a freshman. I was a shitty teenager. Yeah. Were you? Yeah. Yeah. I was god-awful. So even still, that we're not talking about teenagers. We're talking about adults writing teenagers. That's true, right? True. <laughs> but I yeah. mean, like you know, it's not that hard to like you know infiltrate the places, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I you know the internet was the thing then. Okay, Very that's slow. A, actually, no. You know what? This is starting to sound creepy. Like. Don't. Here's what you do. You dress up like a cool <laughs> yeah. hot teen and you go down to your local <laughs> mall, grab a skateboard and a smoothie and sit down and say, what's up, my teens? The, uh, the, the Steve Buscemi clip from, yeah. uh, was that yes, Saturday exactly. Night Live or whatever? Don't, 30 Rock. 30, 30 rock. rock. Yeah, no. Don't <laughs> lurk in teen spaces online. That would be bad. Exactly. What about you, Mike? Um, <laughs> I... Oh, I'm still stuck on this. Um, because uh, I'm gonna dress up as Steve Buscemi for for Halloween now. I think in that costume. Um, but anyways, yeah, I read in nine uh, months. <laughs> yeah, in nine months, I'm already planning. Uh, I read a just a handful of books. I read Sex Criminals number twenty one, which was my pick last week. Diving into some real interesting stuff with this book now that things have happened. I don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't read all of Sex Criminals. So this is a brand new arc. This is a brand new direction for the book. And I really like, I really like it. There's some moments in the back notes of this issue that Fraction points out about how he approached this issue in his all caps, very sarcastic way that he always does. But I pulled out some morsels that I thought were really interesting. So I'm excited to see where this book goes moving forward. Um, I also read Department H number 13 through 22, um, basically getting myself caught up with the series. I'm so mad at myself that I did this. I honestly should have just waited two more months because fucking hell, the story is coming to a conclusion. Like, I knew this was a 24-issue series. I knew that the story was going to rush really fast near the end, and yet I couldn't stop reading. Like, as soon as I sat down to read 13, 14 came and 15 and it was an it was an unstoppable force like the water rising in the book which is a whole thing because they're underwater so uh fantastic book like i said last time i think it was last week this is one of the most beautiful books you can buy matt kent and charlene kent working together is a an absolute treasure um finally though i did read 
Kaiju Max Volume 1. This is a book from Oni Press by Xander Cannon. The first two volumes, I believe, or two seasons, were just added to Comixology Unlimited. So I was like, hey, I'll try Volume 1. I've been meaning to read this for a long time, and I've heard a lot of really good things about it. Um, but ultimately, it's I, I, I was under this impression that it was going to be a really funny book. But it turns out that this is like a prison story that has a fun twist on it in that every every inmate in this prison is a giant kaiju monster like godzilla-esque character someone that lives in the deep or lives in a swamp or comes from the sky or is a giant fucking robot it's really really cool to see how he how xander cannon is approaching like a prison story with like gangs and guards and corruption and you know violence but then making it about kaiju monsters so like the violence is kind of already inherently there they're just there to destroy things but you also get this some personal insights into some of the characters as to maybe they're like not trying to destroy everything maybe they are were accidentally woken up by a bomb and now they're just trying to find their home and they're incredibly disoriented because when you get hit in the head you kind of don't really know what's going on we've seen some perspectives that i thought were really like interesting takes and kind of funny but overall, this book was more just like a prison story that has some laughable moments. There was a moment in the book that kind of had an implied like rape in it, but I and I felt kind of weird about it. And I read a bunch of stuff online, and it's it's not necessarily that. I think Cannon was trying to approach the idea of prison rape isn't funny at all, and this is how it incredibly damages characters. But I'm like, it's fucking kaiju's man. This is giant like fictional monsters weird weird um, place to address the issue maybe exactly a weird place to address the issue i think you could have you could have done an entire prison story without that um and driven the character in a different way um but overall i i do really like this book because he doesn't it, like again they don't focus on that they don't they don't spend all the time like detailing it and making it very violent and, and things it's kind of like a it's a throwaway off panel thing uh, that that really br- breaks a character in some ways and drives them to do something in the story, but uh, overall, like like I said, I did really like this book. Um, I liked the cartoonish style mixed with like the violence of what we you know see in classic television and movies um, for prison. Um, you can you, you basically point out all the tropes on page to page, but I think Canon embraces it to try to just tell a story about kaiju in this weird fictional world where you know they're in prison. So overall, I, I would recommend it if you're looking for some fun violence, if that's your thing. See, I definitely saw Xander Cannon in your notes and thought you were mm-hmm. talking about like the canon we have built around Xander. Like he's yeah, a wizard. Z- and he's... <laughs> the first rule of Xander is you don't talk about Xander. This is true. See, yeah, this whole canon just around that. But no, I mean, yeah, this this is a fun book. So if you're looking for something, you know, to try out, I think if you if you got that Comicsology Unlimited subscription, go try this book. It's free quote-unquote um anyways uh let's move on comic books are coming out on february 14th 2018 that is valentine's day what are you both excited for this week let's start with you brian now, i don't know if our listeners are aware of this fact but i'm actually uh, a, a pretty big fan of star wars it's a it's a sci-fi series that has been oh. around for a little while well, um, wait hold on what what is this about star wars <laughs> um uh, no star it's, uh, wars okay. yeah. coming out on wednesday is thrawn number one it's about uh the origins of grand admiral thrawn who is a character introduced way back when uh star wars books were first happening that was gosh what was his name zahn timothy zahn oh yeah oh uh, yeah timothy zahn wrote that original trilogy trilogy which uh, I believe were some of the first books. I don't think they were the first series to come out, but they were close. 
And he introduces character of Grand Admiral Thrawn, who is this blue-skinned alien called a Chiss from beyond the borders of known space, who uh, was like this Imperial Super Admiral, who's like a sexy space Sherlock Holmes. Hell yeah. <laughs> and uh, Timothy Zahn just wrote a new book in the new updated Disney Star Wars canon about Thrawn's origins. Is that and, the one where he has to go like big game hunting as a child or something? Um, I feel like I've read one of these books. Uh, Tar- that's Tarkin. 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 Does that. Okay, right. I get all the admirals mixed up. <laughs> well, technically, Tarkin is a grand moth. He's not an admiral. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Okay, this, sorry, Brian. This kills the host. <laughs> Uh, uh, thank you. No, this is the story about like how Thrawn was first found by the Empire, how this alien came to be such a high-ranking member of the Imperial Navy. Um, the book was pretty good, so I have high hopes of the comic adaptation. And Thrawn is is such a cool character. I know he's he got shows like up in some of the animated shows, right? He's in Rebels, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I read half of one of those original books, and the only character I cared about was Thrawn. So I'm I understand that the want for more of that character. And in this comic he's got like the sexy long black hair, so there's something for everybody <laughs> in this book. Gotcha. I don't know, like I think I need visuals with Star Wars cuz when I've tried to read the novels I've never finished them. That's entirely fair. It, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but th- yeah, this sounds exciting. Mm-hmm. I I'm I'm looking forward to something a little bit different than Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Black Monday Murders number 8 is supposedly coming out it's been like 84 years right, and with my right. luck it probably won't come out now but um <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like we need to do some kind of black magic ritual maybe that's what the holdup is like hickman's just yeah. like guys you haven't sacrificed enough fetal pigs i don't know um <laughs> so the, yeah jonathan hickman and art by tom coker sexy demon money it's the end of the second arc i don't know like you should you should read it it's it's i think 40 40 pages there's a lot of content in here yeah this book is heavy supposedly i know right (laughs) like physically mentally emotionally i almost am glad that it's been delayed so long so i can go back and like reread everything before you know what i mean like this is one of those books where you can't just be like oh it's been a month or two yeah i totally agree I, I need to actually go back and reread them as well, I think. And then when you're done, Oof. you feel like your brain is soup. Yeah, that's the thing. You have to like dedicate a day to it so that you yeah. can recover. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very like Hickman-esque, yeah. which is what you want when it comes to a big, serious Hickman book. Yeah. Um, well, for me this week, I'm excited for... Well, actually, I'm not excited. I'm, I'm actually positively depressed about this <laughs> week's comics because it is the final issue of Invincible. This is in- Invincible number 144, Robert Kirkman with art by Ryan Otley, Corey Walker in colors, I believe, by Nathan Fairburn. This is it. This is the last issue. It's $5.99. It's going to be... Six billion pages. I don't even fucking care. I am. I will gladly pay six dollars for what is most certainly going to be the end of an era as far as my comic book reading goes. I've been reading this book almost since it came out. I think I started in two thousand five, so it's a little two years late to the to the book. But since then, I've been reading it as regularly as possible. This book, despite its problems, which we did talk about earlier, has always had a place in my heart. I like the the different way of telling a story about superheroes i think that there's been enough violence and drama and character development and 
like twists that like make a good superhero comic everything that you'd expect out of the big soap opera of superhero comics and invincible has done it right and kirkman's constantly trying to or has always said that he wants to do the opposite of what your standard typical superhero book would do and while that doesn't mean you can't have drama and intrigue and twists and all this different stuff it does mean that he's willing to kill off characters and have them never come back or kill the supervillain in a really dumb way because they made a simple mistake or end the fucking series like this book is ending because superhero comics never end and i i actually really really respect that i i think 144 is an odd number but other than that i'm i'm very excited to see how this plays out 143 was super solid 142 broke my heart so 144 is certainly going to demolish me i might have to take a day off work or something that uh, we'll see 144 is a gross isn't it 12 times oh, it 12 yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's what it is. That would actually... I think that it perfectly sums up their whole Ultimate Editions, so they can have 12 Ultimate Editions, which I will probably end up buying all of them. Actually, what I'll do is probably get the two Ultimate Editions that I gave to John Francois, a friend of ours, and then buy the remaining 10 that I need. So, I don't know. I am a little bummed that I don't own every single issue of this series, because I'm very close, but uh, or I was very close at one point, but it's okay. I will survive. I'm ultimately just just mad and sad, but happy. I feel a lot of things about this book right now. Ultimately, I am mad and sad. A comic book reader story. <laughs> <laughs> accurate, accurate. This is the first ever Q&A episode of I Read Comic Books. This is a new thing we're trying for 2018, and by trying, I mean we're just doing it. Um, we've been asking people for the last couple months to send us questions, and we got a bunch of them. Like, I don't know if we're going to be able to get to all of them, but we got a ton of questions. Um, we have another Q&A episode coming up in May, so we're going to be doing these quarterly, like I said at the top of the show. So if you don't hear your question answered this week, make sure to listen to the next Q&A episode where we'll probably get to it. I've just been grabbing questions and shuffling them up, so hopefully it will show up. And if it never does, you should email me directly at ircv at destroythesive.org and harass me about it. So let's get right into it. Basically, the idea that we're going to have here is we're going to read a question and then basically address that question. So to start, Danny asked us, how large is your pull list currently and how large has it been at its largest? Who wants to jump in? I can jump in. So my, <laughs> so my pull list is currently forty-seven comics um, that I pull a month. Now, now of those forty-seven, some of them are digital, some of them are physical, and some of them are like quote unquote inconsistent, meaning they don't come out regularly. So something like the Autumnlands Tooth and Claw hasn't come out in like four months. So, but it's still on my pull list. But, like, I don't get an issue every month. And I've got probably 10 or 12 of those. So, really, like, my pull list is, like, 30-ish items. Um, plus a lot of limited series. And so, when a limited series ends, I try to replace it with a limited series. Or, you know, you accidentally get hooked into four or five things. Next thing you know, your pull list is 59 items, which is what it was at its largest at the beginning of 2017. So, <laughs> that's that's what I do with all of my money as I just spend it on comic books every week on top of, you know sales and books that you just see and you're like oh i really need to get that andy coffin book that box brown wrote which is what i did this past week so you know pretty big how how about you guys um <laughs> well i think mine was at its largest at 10 
right now it's two. <laughs> okay. That okay. that's mostly because I had a long stint of unemployment in there, so I had to mm-hmm. drop most of my books. But yeah, even at its at its highest, it was definitely like ten, maybe twelve. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever got more than like four or five issues in a single week. So, gotcha. So that's why I'm in like sickened astonishment at the size of your pull list, Mike. <laughs> well, here there's, there's this there's this thing in your head, and when I say your head, I mean my head, where you know you just subscribe to all these digital books, and you don't even like you don't see them. They, you don't you know you just get charged for them. Yeah, they're digital, and then you so they're go, not oh, real. Fuck. Yeah, they they don't take up fucking actual space in your house, um, like when I was just buying dig- or physical comic books. Sorry, Tia. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just like I'm I'm basically an absolute disgrace on on this topic because <laughs> oh. I mean my pull list was never that big, but I have a few good reasons for that. I think it was maybe four titles. Yeah, it was four titles at one point: Wick Div, Bitch Planet. Loki, Asian of Asgard, and Angela. Like, those were the titles that I had on my pull mm-hmm. list. And, but part of the reason is because tw- twice at two different comic shops, I tried to start pull lists and they were both like varying levels of jerks to me. And so by the time I found an awesome shop, which shout out to Earthworld Comics in Albany, um, by the time I, I found that place and, and set up shop over there, I was about to be hired at my job where I would get all the comics for free all the time. And it was oh. literally my job to just sit all day and read the comics. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I still buy comics, uh, but I feel like, I don't know, I, I'm just lazy and I never set up an actual pull at Midtown because they always have everything. And I've never yeah. felt like, oh, if I don't put this on a pull list, they're going to not have it. Um, and also my MO was always just to grab a million things off the shelves whenever I was in a shop, which by the way, like even when I, Earthworld is like an hour and a half away from where I lived. So it was basically just like a, a big comics grab whenever I would go to the shop. And also most of the stuff that I was reading was digital before I got my job. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's hard. Like digital books are weird cause it's sometimes like they're, it's it's not in your hand like it's not a physical thing you don't like keep track of it really and and you're just like oh these books kind of showed up because you're never dealing with previews you're not really checking any kind of site to see when a book's coming out um as much as i'd like to as much as i'd like to have like a place to go to like i'm using league of comic book geeks now and um it's nice but i it's doesn't like necessarily always sync up with what i'm getting on comiXology which is unfortunate so it's I don't know. It's it'd be nice to have that, but I don't know. I I have a pull list uh, spreadsheet that I keep at home. That's like, it's crazy. I got a lot of data for myself. I, I think I talked about this on another episode. I've got like data and like graphs, and I can see how much I've paid and purchased over the past months. It's it's a whole thing. So <laughs> mine has always been way more scattershot, but it started off really rocky. Like I tried to do the, what you're supposed to do and set up a pull list, right. and and like the idea that comic shops are past being jerks to new people and to like non-white guy people that mm-hmm. like it's not true. They're still jerks to people. Some in yeah, some I, cases, and it's yeah. I was gonna say I think it varies from shop to shop, but it's still like a it's still a thing. Like you see it even on like on occasion i don't know i feel i I don't know how to you can't fix it it's weird because you can't fix it as like a single person it's like you have to fix it on a community level um yeah i got really lucky with my comic shop i started reading comics around the same time vault of midnight opened up here in grand rapids and like i think that on their staff there have been like i don't know like two or three white guys and the entire rest of the staff has not been white guys so that's always yeah. been a very welcoming place. 
Yeah, my first time at Earthworld was actually for ladies night and the owner would literally like be the bouncer at the door and they had enough staff that they could like only have female staff out ladies night. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's a really good idea having an event like that. Also, there mm-hmm. were cupcakes. Well, <laughs> shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's fantastic. Earthworld Comics, what's up? Um, hit us up. You guys can come and talk on the show about being an awesome comic book shop. Oh, yeah, we should um, do that. Anyways, <laughs> but yeah, we, let's move on. So other than our pull list, um, we had a question from Simon... I, I, I'm sorry, Simon. I don't want to butcher your last name, so I'll just leave it at Simon. How about that? I mean, having your um, name butchered on I read comic books is like an honor. <laughs> uh, maybe. I guess, all right, then I'll try. I guess uh, it's it's not. Uh, we'll see. Okay, Simon Domini Little. I'm guessing, or Domini maybe Domini Little. Domini. Maybe it's not not Domini. Is it Lytle? Who knows? Lytle. Uh, see, Simon. Sorry, hit us up. I mean, my last name is Vasilio. No one's ever said it right. So I, listen. I feel you. All right. I got a last name that'll ruin your childhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, Simon had a great question. Um, what benefits do you see in telling long-form storytelling in comic books over the attempts that have been made in film by both DC and Marvel? Um, which I think there's a lot to unpack in this question. Um, but Tia, you've got a solid answer in our in our notes. Yes. So why don't you start there and we can discuss. Uh, yeah, no, I was thinking of this from just a purely practical standpoint, which is actors. You know, like it's re- oh, true. It's really hard on their bodies to constantly be like getting into superhero shape every other year or whatever to do these films. And, you know, they're only getting older and they may not want to be tied to this franchise for a long period of time where they have to like look the same, be totally in shape, have to go on these like really, really, I don't know, just like grueling press tours. And I don't know, it just, I, I, I think that it's a lot to ask of actors to be in 20 films, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and they're absolutely. not easy films to make. They're really hard. And so also I think right. that um, just in terms of budgets, you can do so much more with a small budget in a comic, I think than you can in a film in terms, if you're, if you're talking superheroes any for sure. Yeah. And yeah. So I think that just the flexibility of being able to do literally anything in a comic and not have to worry about like the safety of your actors, like that's nice. Right. Yeah. I mean, in a comic, your effects budget is whatever you pay your artist and buying them whatever software they need to do their job. And also right. physical therapy for their poor backs and wrists. Oh, true. Right. Shout out to all the right. artists who have like destroyed themselves. That's really awful. Yeah, I, I see that there's like pictures of Jack Kirby at his desk, you know, like or anytime I see like an artist at their desk just leaning and hunching, I'm just like, oh, please, God, are you okay? If you're listening to this at your desk right now, please stand up and stretch. <laughs> I'm, I'm recording this at my desk right now. Rotate your wrists. <laughs> yeah, get yeah. a drink of water. Um, no, I think I think that there's something to be said, you know, the the benefits of telling long form stories in comic books is always just that you can get so much more story out in a shorter amount of time, right? Like you can do a flash forward of five years or do like a flash forward a hundred years all in one issue, whereas doing that kind of work and trying to tell that longer, more maybe nuanced story that you would tell in a comic book in a film is way more complex. And I think that that's where we run into issues a lot of the times with non-superhero comic book movies is that a lot of the nuance in the comic book can be lost. Um, I think if you watch, you know, something like, for instance, let's let's look at something like, uh, 
uh, I'm not going to try to give an example, but, but I, what I'm getting at here is that I think, it, you know, with film, there's a way that you interpret the thing that you're consuming versus when you're reading a comic book, like you have a lot more time to kind of scan the whole page, understand the panels and the layouts and maybe see a bigger picture. Whereas in a movie, if, especially if you're in a theater, you can't like rewind. You have to have taken it in that one time or go watch the movie again. So there, there's benefits there in just like the amount of stuff you potentially can do on a much lower budget. Kind of like what T and yeah. Brian were saying. And I think that there's a lot of stuff that is like totally fine in a comic, but when you put it into a movie with, especially in a, in a live action movie with real actors and everything, it looks ridiculous. And there's no, there's no getting around that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know that scene in Doctor Strange. Sorry, I'm more thinking of uh, back in uh, mid 2000s. We got that one, uh, the Spirit, the Shadow, something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was just like, I don't know. It was just goofy to watch. Right, and I think that like Frank Miller's style that he used in The Spirit or that um, Robert Rodriguez did in Sin City works a hell of a lot better in a comic book <laughs> than it does on screen because yeah. it's, it do- there's no 3D aspect. Like It works really well on a 2D flat surface, but when you move it to 3D, you start to lose the flatness of it, and I think that's what's key when it comes to books like that, um, especially with that stylized art. Also, the the seams between the, like the CGI and the real people and the real sets can the seams can really pull you out of the story, whereas in a comic they all just exist equally. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and that's that's I I was gonna yeah with scenery it's it's all about what you want to put in in the comic. Whereas in a movie, there's kind of like an expectation that everything in the frame is gonna be seen, but in comics, you get away with that you know, like having a blank panel in the background and just a character's face. And it doesn't matter because you're not focused on the background. Whereas in film, it's way more obvious if there's no background to something, you know? Um, again, I, I think maybe maybe we've covered this and covered it to death, but uh, the, there there is, I think, a benefit like of just like the amount that you don't have to do in a comic to tell as an equally large story um, that you would in a movie. This could be a whole episode on its own. I mean, yeah, yeah this is a really cool think, topic. I don't think that it's necessarily taking a shortcut. I think that it is a it's a visual device that emphasizes some aspect of the story that is that yeah, and you don't necessarily have it, or it's harder to do that in a film and and make it a believable like it's the it's a little too heavy-handed in a film but you could do something like that in the in a comic and and it enhances the story yeah yeah if i said shortcut i didn't i didn't mean that i i totally agree with you there but yeah let's move on let's we've got let's we've got a bunch of other stuff too i mean let's see brett schmidt reached out to us he that's our easy last name so i just went right into it (laughs) uh he asked us a couple questions i mean some people asked us a couple questions so i'm just trying to space them out here um he asked us what are some of your favorite products that have been direct spinoffs from a property that is not a comic or not the comic itself which I am trying to think like of all the times I went into Hot Topic and saw <laughs> items that were based on yeah. something that I love. Where are my Persephone yoga pants? <laughs> Where are they? Get on the phone with Jamie McKelvey right now. Jamie, I want my yoga out. pants. Only he can fix this for us. It's true. Or get on this. Get on the phone with Kelly Sue DeConnick. Apparently, they're making all sorts of cool leggings and, yeah, and stuff like they that. They have all the best leggings. All the Bitch Planet leggings are awesome. It, and, and also the sex criminals um, and pretty deadly. <laughs> oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, they look so cool. Um, 
make it happen. I mean, JB, come on. You had to know when you drew those that we would all be harassing you to make them real. Yeah. Well, I remember, I think I read some notes on, on that issue with the with the Persephone yoga pants. Um, if you haven't seen this, I think this is like Wicked and Divine 31 or something like that, um, where Persephone's laying, she's got these beautifully like intricate drawn uh yoga pants on um and i think like kieran was like i feel so bad for jamie i made him use this panel multiple times <laughs> but to the point i think that like in universe clothes merch is so fun like they yeah. did all like the god concert t-shirts and stuff and, yeah um i'm trying to think i know that like there are other comics where they've done that like i think you can get the the sweater with the pair from plutona yeah, um, like yep, image. That. Image does a really good job with that kind of merch. Yeah, some of the action figures that they made for Saga, yeah. like they made a they made a Gus like plushie. And if I wasn't a th- almost thirty year old man who didn't who had a place to put this plushie, I would get this. It's so cool. Like if I had a younger child, just be like, enjoy this, and in ten years you can read the comic. And the lion cat <laughs> plushie. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing. I have some lion cat or lion cat pins that I got at uh, New York City Comic Con, like en- enamel pins. Yeah, I fucking love it. It's got a big little bubble, like two separate pins. Totally worth ten dollars. <laughs> and I've got those. I've got those really cool Wicked and Divine enamel pins that were like C two E two limited because I have a really good friend named Erin uh, who got them for me. She's the absolute best. I DM'd her on the like day of that they announced that they had these pins at C two E two, and so I was like, "Hey, you're gonna go find Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey, and I know you don't know them or read their comics, but please, just buy these pins for me." And so she bought me everything, like T-shirts, and I got a Baphomet T-shirt. I feel really cool. I feel really cool. You are really cool, Mike. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but mine isn't like uh, like a like merch or anything like that. But it is sort of like universe tie-in. Um, I love the the non-compliant tattoos that I saw oh, a lot yeah. of women getting after Bitch Planet came out. That I, I have? just thought that oh, you do she have one. Yeah, wow, that's so awesome. I think that's so cool. Yeah, See, got, we forget my mom got one too. Oh, you're right, right, right. We forget that half of the IRCB people haven't actually met in person. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. that's true. Some of us are going to meet at Emerald City Comic Con. Yes. So if you're going to be there, come find us. But anyways, those non-compliant tattoos are fantastic. I've seen so many cool like takes on that. I, I remember I talked to uh, Valentine Delandro at New York City Comic Con uh, this past year. Was it? yeah, past year, two years ago, and he was like, "I can't believe so many people have tattooed a thing that I made." Like, you have no idea what that's like. You drew this thing. If you would have drawn it bad and they still tattooed it on them, like they'd st- <laughs> that, that's your fault. <laughs> I asked him at, I think, Rose City Comic Con if I could commission him to design a frame to put around mine. And he was just Ooh. kind of like, okay, um, melt into the floor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah He's no, such a sweet guy. I know, he really, he really is. is. I don't know. I just want action figures of everything. Like that at this point, I've grown into that person. Where I just want to buy like action figures of all my favorite characters. Like I have a Gambit action figure and a Gray Hulk action figure on my desk at work. A Gambit action figure. Yeah, yeah, my Gambit one. He's my. I have well three Gambit mm-hmm. action figures. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> if we're being honest, yes. I feel, I feel like Mike is hitting his like 
child who was like Tom Hanks bigged into an adult body <laughs> with an adult income phase. Yeah, like, almost. I loved it when Disney started making Avengers Tsum Tsums because they oh look like God. hamsters. And so I was like, I have a Bucky hamster. This yeah, is great. <laughs> Those things are so weird. I know. I know they- <laughs> um they, yeah i i buy i just buy a lot of enamel pins now i don't know why i don't need them i've but cut I, myself I, off from toys yeah that's smart but hey you know there's but it's so tldr we just like really cool merch right yeah <laughs> mostly we like cool clothes. stuff give me the clothes, and clothes custom clothes not just t-shirts because t-shirts are cool but one person can only have so many t-shirts right i'd love like a button-up x-men like sweater thing that yeah, I could wear like that would be cool her universe like does a really good job of covering like you know women's wear and I feel bad for you guys that there really isn't a dude equivalent man if I could just have a legitimate nice looking cyclops who goes to prep school look <laughs> that would be it that's all that I need in my life if, if I could get like <laughs> anything cool in tall sizes I think that would be fantastic don't they probably make like a Chewbacca outfit all right, listen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, we're going to move they on. They do, and I can't afford it. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on. That's, um, so Danny, Danny also asked another question. He said, um, what comic books do you currently recommend to someone as a place to start reading comics? Also, has that recommendation changed? And if so, why? And what was your previous starter comic? So this is, this is an interesting question because I know we covered it on the show a handful of times. But I think this is something that's always evolving and I have no mm-hmm. problem coming back to it because it is like as you discover more comics, you get better recommendations and understanding or you find stuff that you didn't know existed and you're like, holy shit, this is a much better recommendation than I thought. So I guess I, I have some thoughts, but Brian, do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, for me right now, it's all about giant days. I think that mm-hmm. it's such a, such a fun, cute little comic that anybody can enjoy. Unless you're so caught up in your toxic masculinity that you can't read a book about, like, young women without feeling weird about it, then you can enjoy Giant Days. It's about people living their lives, and I think we can all relate to that to some extent. But it's also, everything is kind of, like, turned up past 11, like, turned up as high as possible, and then the knob was yanked off. So, everything is just, like, really fun and funny and, you know, like... All the highs are really high. All the lows are really low. It's something that you can really experience. And I think that's a really good place to like get into comics as a medium. Like See how people can use comic books to tell this story about the human experience. Yeah, and this is one of those books that has some genuine, genuinely funny moments in it. Like the belly laugh worthy moments that aren't like contextual or, or whatever. It's just like really fun comedy on top in, in the high parts of the story when it's not you know kind of sad because of one reason or another yeah i totally agree absolutely with that. this is like one of the only comics that makes me laugh out loud every time i read it yeah i agree what about you tia well for me it, i feel like it really depends on where the person is coming from broadly speaking i think that fraction and oz hawkeye is always a good bet it's just so good. And everybody kind of like is familiar with the context of like Hawkeye and the Avengers, even if they haven't even seen the movies, like it's just part of the zeitgeist now, they kind of get it. And it's just such a good story. And we can all relate to like Hawkeye and 
being a fuck up and all of that sort of thing you know yeah. like he's just a guy yeah, and that's exactly. like the best part about it and then so my favorite my other favorite thing about it is like kate bishop is awful but and like for the opposite reason so like she like is constantly a, a disaster and she thinks that she's awesome and like clint <laughs> is always a disaster and he thinks that he's a piece of shit and like together they create like a whole functional person mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know but for people who are just like no i refuse to read anything big two or anything superhero I used to recommend Saga. I'm really not feeling Saga lately. So I've actually started to uh, talk up Heathen a little bit more as a good starter oh, yeah. comic for people. If you can, now that the volume's yeah, out, exactly. now you can get the actual trade. Holy mm-hmm. shit, yeah. And then for people who think they're too intellectual for comics, um, e- <laughs> yeah, no, they're out there. Either you're, you're right. Either my friend Dahmer, for people who were like, no, I only read nonfiction. I'm too busy reading The New Yorker. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think for like people who think that they're literature snobs, um, Ron Wimberly is Prince of Cats. Oh, okay. Okay, I like that. For me, I, I think that I, I'm kind of done recommending superhero books to people. I think Hawkeye is a go-to, like, easy. And just like, hey, you've probably heard about this book being really, really good, so you should just read volume one, and then I'll buy you the rest of them. Uh, and so that's like a, that's a given. But I think if I'm if I'm being honest, like, they a lot of people that I'm trying, if you're trying to recommend comic books to, maybe they don't read a lot of comics or have no real interest, and you're like, oh, no, no, but you should read this. Um, I, my go-to right now is um, Tetris, the games people play. It's like a it's a nonfiction story telling the origins and history of Tetris, the game. Um, and I think it's a it's a thing that you can recognize and go, okay, I kind of know that this is a Russian thing, right? And this actually goes into the backstory of how Nintendo and all the various video game companies at the time like were fighting for the license for this book and how um, the book basically exploded into the Western world and in Japan um, in the 80s and 90s and how it's still this ongoing thing. Tetris is like a big part of our video game culture. And I think you can hook someone on that because it's not in your face with like explosions and super heroics or anything. And it's got enough of that, you know, uh, highbrow, I guess, discussion about or telling us of telling a story that isn't going to like make someone think that you're being wacky. And there's comedy in it. It's kind of funny because it's, it's very dry. Um, I don't know. The books, it's just a very solid read. I can't recommend this book enough. Box Brown is, he's a fantastic storyteller. I mean, it's auto, it's biographical, but it's. He does a very good job interpreting the story and making it like very like easy to read. Um, but on top of that, if you're if someone's looking to get into manga, which may be like kind of like whoa, I don't know, you kind of got to be into comics maybe to get into that. But um, I would recommend Delicious in Dungeon, um, which is kind of an off the beaten path story um, that takes some characters who are in this dungeon and you know they have to survive and so they start eating the monsters in this dungeon so it's a food manga mixed with some adventure and fun fantasy jokes um and i would i would say it's this is a fun read if you don't like volume one then i've got like 20 other recommendations but i think that that's a a book that you probably haven't heard of that's actually does a very good job of being a manga and telling a fun story so that's how i would try to get someone into things um but yeah and we, I mean, again, we've done whole episodes on this. We'll probably do an episode again this year. I think it's a, like I said, a good topic to come back to and discuss. And as we rotate out people, you're going to get different perspectives every time. So I'll make sure that it's not Brian and Tia when we do that episode this year. <laughs> uh, 
Let's see. Uh, so as far as questions, let's see. What else do we have here? We'll go to this one from my buddy Russ. He had a very big question. So I think we'll, this will probably be the last question of the, the episode here. He said, is there a viable revenue stream for comics without movie franchising? And so I asked him a little bit about what that, what he meant by that. Um, and he specifically said, in terms of the industry, the last time he checked, DC and Marvel sales of actual comics, real or physical, and he said real, but physical and digital paled in comparison to the kickbacks from major movie studios for whatever Cape sequel is the last to hit the screen. And I think to Russ's point, yes, like movies are making a ton of money, but you can totally make a living on comics. Um, Brian T., I'll let you guys jump in here. Well, first of all, I think that Marvel Studios and Marvel Comics probably don't share income revenues or, like, streams. Like, they're not... I don't. I mean, I I don't know for sure, but I suspect that Marvel Comics is expected to be a self-supporting business. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, so I think that it's a little bit uh, maybe not helpful to think of to think of it in this way. But uh, but then, like to to answer his question specifically, like first of all, Jen Bartel, just like all of Jen yeah. Bartel. Uh, Iron yeah. uh, Circus Comics, like anyone doing Kickstarter Bedside Press, like there are plenty of people making their way in comics, making the living and uh, doing just fine without movie franchising. You, you yeah, know. I mean, for someone for maybe the less informed, you know, like what is Jen Bartels like? What does she do? I know she does covers and stuff. I've seen her do that. She but makes awesome her, prints her, her, and enamel pins yeah. and t-shirts. And, you know, she makes a lot of her original characters. Like, they're not even characters. They're just sometimes, like, I don't know. I think of them almost as, like, idea, like personified ideas, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and And just selling that stuff is enough to, like, survive, right? Or not survive, but at least do well I enough assume, to yeah. continue working. Yeah. She, like, people are clamoring for her prints and pins mm-hmm. and things. And then also, like, it comics really needs to get its life together and in terms of young adult and all ages books like comics cannot live and die by the direct market anymore they just are leaving so much money on the table with these Mm -hmm. uh, these categories that have nothing to do with comic book shops you know and it's there and some publishers are are you starting to use it more i think that it's really misguided to think of it in terms of dc and marvel yeah i agree Brian, did you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know anything specifically. Obviously, I'm not really, I'm not as plugged into the comics industry as Tia and to a lesser extent you are because, you know, I I work in a call center and uh, not for a a digital comics empire. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, absolutely. I think that the, the simple existence of indie comics proves that there is a viable way to make a living there you know like um like i i look at giant days for the example i always go back to that you're all yeah, you're all yeah. sick and tired of hearing about but <laughs> books books like giant days would not exist if they didn't make enough money to justify themselves which i think is a crappy way to do things and we'll get into the flaws of capitalism in another episode but yeah it is <laughs> I mean, the way things work right now yeah yeah, I mean, we covered this a little bit on the episode, and when I say a little bit, I mean almost completely, <laughs> um, <laughs> on an episode that Kara and T and I did a couple weeks back, talking about like how we can basically get people the money that they deserve for working for these 
you know, inter intellectual property giants, um, and yet only making kind of ends meet. Uh, there, and there's more to be said, and I think like for us to have a full deeper discussion about this, we should probably have some a handful of people out there um, who are actually in the industry and making this type of money, because I don't want to necessarily speak about someone's job without being fully informed. Um, but to that extent, there is a lot of information on the internet from someone named Jim Zub, who has documented his for the most part, his wages and everything that he's done and as far as percentages go, not exact dollar amounts, um, and how it's worked for various indie publishers and what it means to sell physical, to sell digital, um, versus you know getting something picked up and going a little bit further. And maybe he doesn't have all the answers, but he's got a lot of them. So if you're interested, I would say definitely Google some of that stuff. But long and short is like, yes, people can make a living, but it's not going to be a glamorous life. You're not going to be a millionaire. Um, in last week's episode, we talked about Kevin Eastman, uh, who is basically the remaining writer of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And at one point, he did have to sell off um, his ownership of the property to uh, Hasbro, I believe. And But for a while, like he was probably making a ton of money because Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has been around for forever. But I think that he's a one-off example of how indie success is totally possible. But that being said, I think with more and more stuff getting made, Robert Kirkman, for example, is another person that has made a ton of money as a comic book creator. He started writing Invincible. He started writing Walking Dead. And now Walking Dead is this huge thing. He's got the TV show. He's got the board games, millions of other things. And he's got another show on top of that. Uh, it's, it's three shows at this point, like before The Walking Dead or whatever. There's the one in L.A., there's The Walking Dead, and then there's Outcast. Like he's doing pretty well for a comic book writer, if you ask me. Yeah, but but that kind of makes your friend's point, which is that these people are doing, you know, movie fran or TV franchising. Oh, yeah. Okay. You yeah, know, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Never mind, Russ. Uh, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I sure that, that I think, but I think that like if you're... Ed Brubaker, you're not seeing all that sweet, sweet Winter Soldier money, you know? Right, right. Um, I, but it, I don't know. The, I think the question is, is there a viable revenue stream? I think yes, provided you continue, continue to write comics. It's, I don't think it's something like you do a one and done and it sells a billion copies and you're, yeah. you don't have to work anymore. Yeah, you know, for I think sure. There, yeah, without movie franchising, sure, you won't be a millionaire, but it's definitely a living. It's definitely something you can do as a job. Um, and, and survive. But I mean, it's, I don't know, the big, the big two is, is where the quote unquote money is. But I think there are some examples of indie success, like a Brian Lee O'Malley, for instance. I mean, he had franchising with movies, but, um, even before Scott Pilgrim was this huge movie, I think he was doing all right. Um, and there's a couple of other people out there that are like that too. I could be wrong, but I don't think that the big two is where the money is for creators. No, that's where sure. the audience is. Exposure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's where the exposure is. So, Thanks for the question, everyone. I mean, and thank you, Russ. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Brett. Thank you, Simon. Um, for everyone who sent in their questions, I know there was a couple we didn't get to this week. So if you have more questions, send them along. We'll address the next ones in May. Um, so I think we're just going to wrap up here. This has been a fantastic episode. I'm really excited to do more of these because this is the kind of stuff that like can inspire whole new episodes just around a topic. So um, hopefully, maybe we'll pull some stuff out of this episode and make it into a full-blown episode just covering one specific thing. 
thing. So I guess to, to wrap things up, you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Tia at Portrait of Madam X, spelled the cool French way. You can follow Brian on Twitter at Brian Head. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike Rappin. You can follow the show at IRCB Podcast, where we retweet stuff. We post polls such as this week's, which is who has the best technology. We also have a Goodreads group. I think we're pushing 300 members and yeah. we chat and do weekly threads. This week's thread is getting comic books signed. You can also check out the show at our website, ircbpodcast.com. We have stuff there, all of the episodes. And the pronunciation guide. Oh, yes, the pronunciation guide. I knew there was something I forgot. That's you okay. didn't write it down. I know. <laughs> you can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Please go ahead, find us on there. Give us a rating. Give us a subscription. You know, the the better our ratings and reviews are, the more important Apple thinks we are, the more people find us. Exactly. You can also email the show, ircb at destroythesibe.org. If you want your questions to be featured in a future Q&A episode, that's a great place to send them. Yeah, and you can also post on Twitter with the hashtag ircbqa um infinity shred does all the music for our show they're the absolute best band in the universe xander he's a nice guy he also edits the show and we love him to death we really appreciate him and all that he does finally i want to say thank you to tia and brian and thank you to listeners thank you to everyone who helped us on kickstarter and all the other people out there who listen to the show share this with their friends we cannot thank you enough so until next time thank you for listening we'll check you next week